0: it's been an honor being here uh, it's a privilege to get to speak with you guys it's it's interesting i come here and we're we're strangers you know i don't know any of you real well this <laughs> i thought we were going to change this <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's been a lot of fun here we I don't know any of you very well um, but I know that we all have uh, Jesus as Lord and that brings us together and that makes us family and it, and it feels like family since I've been here it's really been awesome I mean you guys are paying for all my meals I'm getting I'm getting, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a tour of the city uh, Jacob was our guide hiking the other day I'm thinking man I need an interview next week uh, my uh, my wife my wife wants to try out for the job here in a couple of weeks so if we could just come back. really that's I'm not okay with that you guys would hire her and my ego so uh, but I, I'm excited to be here this morning uh, I, we're gonna look at a, at a passage here we're gonna look at a, at a conflict that happened in the Corinthian church. I've been through multiple minister searches um, as, a, as a minister on staff and as someone growing up in a, in a church. And I, I know sometimes when you're looking for a minister, emotions can run high. Sometimes people disagree. A lot of different people have uh, different ideas of what the right person for the job looks like. And I've even, in my, in my current church, uh, I, I've had friends leave the church over, over the minister hiring process. And so I know that this can really be a delicate time. But it doesn't have to be. And and I hope for you guys it's not. But let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, We'll start out looking at uh, verses 10 through 12. This is Paul saying, "I, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. So I thought, I thought it might be fun when we're looking at all these different people. Who, when uh, people are kind of saying, hey, this is my guy. No, this is my guy. And so you see these, these factions developing over who they kind of feel that their leader is. And so here in this situation, you have people who really aren't... I I don't think any of these guys were rivals. I don't think any of these guys had issues with each other. But the Corinthian church is kind of pitting them against each other as if they were rivals. So you got uh, Peter Cephas. He's he's probably... The people that are behind Peter are probably the Jewish Christians. The ones who kind of want to... Like we talked about in class, the ones... Uh, like like the ones in Galatia, who kind of wanted to hold on to the old the old ways of doing things, and then you got Paul, who you know he's the he's kind of the newer, more edgy one, but he's also the one who started the church. So a lot of people are going to say, "Hey, no, we stick with Paul. This guy founded us." Uh, and then Apollos is really, to me, the most interesting one, and in why people would support Apollos. And you really have to kind of read between the lines to see what the draw was to Apollos. Uh, and You don't have to go there. Um, I'm not lying. But if you want to go there, it's Acts 18.24. And uh, this is where we're we're introduced to Apollos. It tells us a little bit about him. We know uh, he only knew of John's baptism. But the thing that, that for the purpose of what we're talking about this morning, Acts 18.24 says he was an eloquent speaker. He was an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well. And if you look at Paul, it wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. Again, if you want to go there, you can. Uh, Paul, Paul is quoting what some of the Corinthian church said about him. Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he's weak and his speeches are worthless. Ouch. Uh, so, but, but really what they're saying, hey, he's a great writer. He's eh, speaking uh, not so much. And then just a, just a little bit further down, 2 Corinthians 11.6. Paul says, Paul even admits, I may be an unskilled As a speaker, I may be an untrained speaker, is what some version says, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. And so, really, here you can see him. He's kind of answering these these objections to him that he's kind of boring to listen to. You know, he really he doesn't have much to say. Uh, But he's saying, "Hey, look, I I can tell you. I, I don't have all the fluff. I don't have all this fancy. You know, I'm not real eloquent. But I can tell you what God what God says. I can show you the power of God. And so that's that's his argument there. So. Really, what was going on here? Well, one more example of Paul being kind of boring. Uh, Acts twenty. Uh, Acts twenty. Even Luke seems to think he's boring. Luke, Luke says he's going on and on. And there's this um, this guy Eutychus, who falls asleep, falls out the window, and dies. Paul's preaching was so boring he killed somebody. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah it was. he was
0: going all night. We won't go that long. Don't worry. Uh, so this really wasn't Paul's, Paul's skill set. wasn't preaching, and really, that's what the issue was here. That's why some people were in Apollos' corners because Apollos, this guy, man, he's eloquent. He's good. He's exciting. He's good to listen to. And so, so that was really, I think, really a lot of things in the Corinthian church. They have a lot of the same problems we have today. The same heart problems. They were concerned with status. They wanted to be entertained. The issues just manifested in different ways. So we're a lot like the Corinthian church in a lot of ways. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at how Paul responded to some of these issues in the, in the Corinthian church. And really to kind of pull out what were some of his, his leadership skills and traits that we can, we can learn from. And I know when we start talking about how to be a good leader, a lot of people start checking out because they say, oh, I'm not a leader. Um, and so there's really a lot of ways you're a leader. If you, if you don't have a job or you're considered a leader, um, there's so many places where you have power and influence. So, so don't check out. Um, these are all things that there's so many different ways where you guys are have, have leadership and have people looking to you, where you have power over people. So, so uh,
1: let's listen
0: and let's see some ways that Paul leads and, and how we can learn from that. So to me, right here, if I was in charge, if I was Paul, I would be at least tempted to this church I started. So he starts this church and they're all starting to follow other people. I think think leaders would be tempted to say, hey, I founded this church. I'm like your dad. You follow me. How dare you start following Apollos and Peter? I'm your spiritual father. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he does the opposite. Uh, Look at verse 13 and 14 in in chapter 1. He says, "Is Christ divided, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus and guys. So so he goes on, but really what he's doing here is, I think we read this a lot and we see, spoiler alert, here's how he handles the whole issue. is He says, hey, all these guys you're following, it's all God. God's behind all of this. So just follow God. Don't worry about the people. But here what I see Paul doing is he's taking himself out of this. He's saying, you know, instead of instead of saying, "Here's why you should follow me," he takes himself out of the race. He does the opposite of what a lot of us would be tempted to do. Basically, it's Paul saying, "Hey, hey, Corinth, I'm not entering into your popularity contest. I'm not playing your status game. I'm not I'm not engaging. I'm not going to compete in this power struggle." And so, so to me, I just think, wow, well, well played, Paul. Way to go. He's not he's not going to enter into this. And so, so the first thing I want you guys um, to hear this morning is. A good leader is not power hungry. A good leader doesn't try to seize all the power and fight for it and take it all for himself. When I was in college, we, uh, Brianna and I, actually went on a Let's Start Talking mission trip uh, to Mozambique. And in Mozambique, there, there, was a, um, there was a missionary there who I really looked up to. His great mentor, his name was Manuel. And he was telling us about the, the church in Mozambique. And the government actually requires the Church of Christ to have a president. Uh, Someone needs to be answering for what the Church of Christ does in Moses. So in Mozambique, there's a president of the Church of Christ. It's really weird. Um, And my first thought was, well, you should be the president of the Church of Christ. And his response was, well, you know, actually, there's, there's two people fighting for that right now. Which probably doesn't surprise you guys. But his response was, wherever there is a struggle for power, Christ has no part in it. And, I, and first off, I said, wow, that's a good point. Second off, I was like, someone crown this guy king of the church of Christ the most. He is so fit. Uh, but but I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that shows a good sign of leadership when you're not just trying to be hungry and seize it all and take it for yourself or, or take it by force. And, and really, what we see Paul doing, he's just mimicking what Christ did. People wanted Christ to seize power, people wanted him to throw out Rome. Uh, in one case, he actually had to slip away. Because they were going to make Jesus king by force. Uh, so, so Jesus, Paul, Paul, just like Jesus, was not willing to seize power. And I do think there's a lot of well-meaning people who become power-hungry and it's because they want to do the right thing with that power. But I think that's a dangerous process uh, to follow through with. So it's something we need to be mindful of. Let's not be too hard on people who seem to be power-hungry. Uh, but it is also something that we ourselves need to keep in check. So a few, a few qualities, and I think also when we start talking about power-hungry people, it's easy to point at other people and not look inward. Um, so look inward there for a second. Um, a, few, a few qualities of power-hungry people is they only relate to the power people. They only relate to the people with money and with power. I know when I first started my first youth ministry job, I had a minister friend who told me, Hey, I know you don't want to hear this. But the first thing, you, one of the first things you need to do is you need to go find who the power people are, and the people with the money, and make sure you get them on their side. Get them on your side. And I was just thinking, man, did you hear yourself? That's awful. And I, and I understand what he was saying. And he was kind of thinking the ends justify the means. You know, Do do what you got to do um, to be able to do your ministry. But just to me, that just seemed really contrary um, to the part. You know, Christ was reaching out to the marginalized, to so the people no one cared about. Uh, so, so that so... If you're only relating to the power people, if those are the people you're interested in going to, maybe you're power-hungry. Uh, another one is power-hungry people are constantly in competition, um, in competition with others and maybe with other leaders. Uh, I, re- I remember, again, as a young minister sitting in probably my first ever minister and elders meeting, and I noticed this minister kind of taking a little bit of a passive-aggressive shot at one of the other ministers. I'm like, man, right? I thought they were friends <laughs> and I had to kind of sort through later. Now that I'm, now that I'm looking back what was going on is they were kind of jockeying for positioning. Uh, and so that's, that's really unhealthy. And, and again, I'm speaking into leadership stuff with, with church and that's just because that's the context I come out of. Um, so I think these things are applicable in the household and, and whatever jobs you work at. But the examples I know are the ones that I've worked with. Uh, a couple of other ones, uh, Power-hungry people love praise from others, and we'll talk more about that. And power-hungry people make rules a whole lot more than follow them. And make rules more than follow them. Uh, We're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to keep looking at this episode and how Paul's dealing with these factions and them arguing about leaders. Um, So if you just, you probably don't even need to turn the page. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And you see here, I think Paul seemed a little more worried about Apollos than the other ones, and he addresses him a little more. In chapter 3, verse 5, he says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So again, he's kind of going back to the same thing, the same idea that, hey, it's God who's really doing the work. It's not us. But one thing that I like that Paul's doing here is he's not delegitimizing Apollos in any way. He's saying, hey, Apollos actually doing a pretty good job. He's watering it. He's, Apollos is building on what I started. And so, something I see here, and it's a little more subtle here. You see Paul do this in a lot of ways, but a second thing a good leader does is a good leader empowers others. A good leader empowers others. He's, he wasn't trying to take away from Apollos. He's saying Apollos is doing a good job. And throughout Corinthians, you really see him trying to, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, um, when, he's, when he's talking about disfellowship, He's not really saying, I did fellowship him. He's empowering the conversation to say, you do it. Uh, so Paul, Paul's leadership style, he empowers. And so here, it's subtle, but he's, he's giving Apollos credit. He's, he's empowering him. He's saying he's doing a good job. And so I think this one is, is hard in leadership. It's hard for me as a, as a youth minister sometimes to, to turn tasks over to others, to allow other people to do things. Because you know, I think, I think the fear is, well, they're going to do it wrong. Or they're not going to do it how I do it. Or they're not going to do it as efficiently. And so sometimes, and sometimes it's really at the heart of it. It's, it's being power hungry that keeps us from doing it. Or it's fear that keeps us from doing it. But you can't, you can't build up future leaders without empowering them. Without giving them some really important tasks to do. Without, uh, as leaders need to be training up people to take their spot when they're done and when they're gone. Um, my, my dad's the head CEO of a hospital and he, he retired a few years ago but he really wanted to retire early but he didn't because he was training up the guy to take his spot and so that's something really important in leadership is to be investing in, in the younger people be in, investing in the people you have influence over and let them do the job and, um, and don't just say here you go and just turn it over to them but empower them and then support them and walk with them through it. I know a, a constant complaint about about elders in the Church of Christ is you know they just they're kind of yes or no men. You know I have to go and ask them for permission and they say yes or no and then I go about my business and and I found that in my current eldership they they say yes all the time and, and that's and that's great and I love that. But there's sometimes where I say I don't want your permission. I want your support. I want I want you to do this with me, and so I think that's something really important for leadership is to not just give permission, to not just say here you go, you can do it, but to say here you go, how can I help you? How can I walk alongside you? Um, so empowering people in, in leadership and then walking with them is really important. So be thinking of that. What where what power do you have that you're unwilling to give up on, or in what ways do you need to empower others? To really allow them, maybe it's your kids. Uh, to really allow them to grow and be formed. Okay, let's let's keep going. We're actually going to go. We're going to go up a little bit here. Um, I did this on purpose. Uh, This this is probably Paul's harshest um, reaction here. Chapter three, uh, verses one through four says, brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? So here you see Paul. He's really being, he's being pretty harsh. He's being a bit hostile. Uh, I mean, basically saying, y'all are acting like a bunch of babies. And preachers get fired for saying stuff like that. Uh, and he's just doing it. He's saying it. But really what I see Paul doing here, he's being a good leader. He's being a good leader. He's telling people not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. And a lot of times those are those are two very different things. So, so that's, a, that's the next point I want to make here is a good leader makes hard decisions. Good leader makes hard decisions. Says, says the things that are hard to say or maybe put another way a good leader is willing to make unpopular decisions if they're, deci- if they're what's good for the whole. Uh, not just because it's what the leader wants, but if, hey, this is good for the whole, a good leader needs to be willing to pull the trigger on that. Uh, and this is a very important and probably the hardest part of leadership. You know, addressing problems. Uh, as a youth minister, having to address sin problems with students, that's never fun. Bearing bad news. Uh, making decisions that are good for the whole but when you do that, are detrimental to pockets of people. Uh, that can be that can be really challenging and, and heart wrenching. You know, what I mean, and you, you see it really with any leadership. You know, no, no, there's has there ever been a president who everyone loves? Um, you know, it's, it's it's because when you serve one group, you're marginalizing another. And so so leadership is hard in, in that sense. You know, I've I've heard this stat repeatedly that. Uh, for ministers, for 10% of the congregation is gonna, just going to hate you. It just doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter your charisma. 10% is just not going to like you. Uh, and I, I don't know I don't know how they figured that stat out. I think that I've also heard a stat that 10% are in love with a minister. Um, I don't know who's making up these stats. I mean, that's not on a questionnaire you've ever had. Are you in love with a minister? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's sweet (laughs) we'll we'll hug later Um, but leadership is hard is really what I'm getting at here and and people are going to be mad at leadership Uh, one book I've read by John Orberg he says leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can stand Leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can stand. How not fun is that? Uh, who would want to do that? Uh, but, but I think it implied in there is that leaders do need to be building up also. Um, but you, you can't just unload everything on them and just totally tear them down. So you need to be building them up, but eventually part of leadership is telling people what they don't want to hear, is telling people how they can grow. Uh, telling, with me a lot of times, it's telling students, hey, it's not about you, uh, you're wrong. Hey, we need to go this direction. Hey, you need to get over this issue with these people. Uh, so it's disappointing people at a rate they can stand. The leadership can't just tell people what they want to hear all the time. Really, And really, if there was any criticism of Paul's leadership is that he didn't do it at a rate people could stand. Um, he was pretty harsh and just let him have it. Uh, you know, I think of and a, lot, a lot of the leaders in the Bible, man, they just told it like it was right there and there. You know, I think of Stephen, the first martyr. I mean, when I read his sermon, I'm thinking, "Are you trying to get killed, man?" Like, he's, uh, he's letting them have it. He is he is not pulling any punches. So sometimes it's important to, to be political and to do it at a rate they can stand and make sure you're building people up in the process. And so, really, the other side of the coin here of a leadership needs to be uh, a leader needs to be willing to make hard decisions. Is on the on the on the flip side, this is important to be able to do that. A leader can't just be a people pleaser. A leader can't just be a people pleaser. He can't say yes to everyone. He can't give everyone what they want, because um, sometimes what the people want isn't what God wants. And that's important to sort through. That uh, a leader has to have tough skin. I know as a young youth minister, one of my biggest issues was wanting people to like me. Really wanted people to like me. And when when I look back, I you know I, I know that a lot of that was because pride, and a lot of it was because insecurity. And it's something when I moved on to my next job, one of my main goals was to get over that and learn to say no. Learn to be willing to let people be mad at me. Uh, and so think about that. Do you have a hard time saying no to people? Do you have a hard time saying no? Because some, sometimes that's, that's one of the symptoms of being a people pleaser. And so I really think, you know, look through your life and kind of sort that out and think of places where, where do you need to be better about saying no? Who do you need to say no to? Because really, it'll make your life easier, it'll probably make you a better leader, and maybe free up your time a little bit. Uh, so think about that. Where do you need to say no in your life? And so this people pleasing thing—it's—it's it's something really close to my heart. It's something that I've really struggled with. Um, so as we close, there's there's a few verses I really I want to share with you guys because they're close to my heart. They've been really formative to me. Uh, Galatians one ten is one. Uh, we brought up brought it up this morning that Galatians was basically Paul telling what we call the Judaizers, he never uses this term but the people who wanted to hold on to the old traditions, this is Paul basically saying, hey we're not going to do that and uh, so he's making, he's taking a hard leadership stand, he knows that this is what's important for Christ, this is what's important for the body of Christ to to win as many as possible, we're going to have to we're going to have to, uh, and to live in this new covenant, we can't require circumcision, we can't require people to keep these these laws, these Jewish customs, so here he's, he's opening up this, uh, it's really his harshest letter that, that we know of. There may have been one to the Corinthians that was harsher, but um, we don't know about that one. But here he's prefacing this really harsh letter in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were still trying to please man and not be certain. Man, that, that's, y'all are saying amen, but I'm like, oh, man, uh-oh. I, I feel I, that, that one hurts sometimes. Um, and I think, I think that's important um, to remember that and, and to maybe put it in a different way. If I care more of what people think about me than what God thinks about me, that's a dangerous place to be. That's, that's idolatry, caring more of what people think. Than what God thinks. And so and so here what Paul's saying this, he's saying, like, I know you don't want to hear it, and but what what God what what God thinks and what God wants is more important than what you guys want. And so that's why he has this really harsh and this really hard leadership in Galatians. He's he's picking a fight um, that he knows is important to pick. Um, okay, so another one about about kind of about people pleasing along the same line that's that's been really formative for me. First Peter chapter 3, verse 17. First Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Here he's talking about. Uh, suffering for doing good, suffering for, for following Christ and, and what happens there. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, uh, It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, like I said, I was a, especially early in my ministry, I'm, I, I really struggle with people pleasing. Right? And I can think of a time where, I'm actually multiple times, or have a dispute amongst students. Or it's maybe even spilled over to a dispute amongst families. And I just want to keep everyone happy. I just want to make sure everybody's happy here. And um, that does not work. Uh, what ends up happening is everybody's mad at me. Everyone's mad at each other and now they're mad at me too. You just can't keep everybody happy. But that right there I think is important to remember. You can't keep everyone happy. So don't don't try. Just do what needs to happen. Just do. Say what needs to be said. And you know what? Someone's going to be mad at you. When there's a fight and you're having to tell people, hey, this is how you need to grow up. And I always think whenever there's a fight, there's never one side that's totally right. Um, Both sides, there's something that they could have done better. And so, you know, sometimes leadership means telling both sides, here's here's what you need to change. Here's how you need to work this out. And it will make them mad. And you might have people mad at you, but I, I would rather them be mad at me for doing the right thing. Than for just sitting back and trying to keep everybody happy. Um, And so I think that's an important thing that I've learned in youth ministry. Is that people are going to be mad at you. Sometimes. Sometimes people are going to be mad at you for doing the right thing. Sometimes people are going to be mad at you for doing the right thing. And I can live with that. If I know I did what God wants. I did what God wants. I can live with you being mad at me. I have a much harder time and I lose a whole lot more sleep. If people are mad at me because I was inactive and I was trying to be a people pleaser. Um, So so do what God wants and then I can live with the consequences. Um, One one more. And this one has been, again, all these have been for me as a minister. Uh, John 6 verse 66. John 6 verse 66. This is after foreshadowing the Lord's Supper. uh, Jesus said, I mean, it's it's kind of ironic because the people don't know what he's talking about here. But we really do now. Uh, Jesus is telling people. Basically, they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And people were pretty weirded out by that. Um, And so much to the point where people left. See, is it verse 66 says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus lost people. Jesus lost disciples. I I strangely, this is really a sad moment in his ministry. But I, I strangely find encouragement as a minister in knowing that it even happened to Jesus. And I think a church could find encouragement in this. Um, you can be doing, not to say that my church, my home church, when, when I've lost people, or, or this church, when you, not to say you're doing everything right, but Jesus did everything right. So you could really do everything right and still you might lose people. Still, people might be mad at you. Happened to Jesus. So, so really, with all this and with leadership, is is it's important to remember, and and this is this is so important for me, and and it's still stuff I'm working on. You can't please everyone, but you can please God. Can't please everyone, but you can please God. So, so work on that, and you can live with the consequences of people being mad at you. So, so what is God communicating to you today? Um, Is He telling you to end a power struggle? Is there some power struggle going on in your life that that you need to end? Is he telling you to withdraw from a fight? Uh, Maybe maybe you need to fall in line and support someone rather than compete with them. Uh, Maybe you need to affirm leadership rather than critique and combat it. Uh, Is he telling you to empower someone? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's an employee. Uh, Maybe maybe, uh, there's some power you need to let go of. Maybe there's something you need to turn over to someone else. Uh, to let, in order to let them grow, maybe you need to turn power over them. Uh, where do you need to delegate and support rather than do it all yourself? Uh, is there something hard God wants you to do? Uh, do you need to have a hard conversation? Do you need to do you need to tell someone no? Do you need to be the bearer of bad news? maybe, maybe in all of this, uh, some of us need to recognize leadership is hard. I don't, you know, I was, I was pretty critical of church leadership, and then I became a youth minister. And I became a lot more compassionate uh, to elderships. Uh, I, I saw what they were going through. Um, so maybe that's what you need here is to get behind whatever your church leaders. Get behind uh, your, maybe your bosses. Uh, and maybe, maybe you've exhausted yourself trying to uh, keep people happy. And you just need to kind of change your focus a little bit. and Start living for what God wants. Not what your employees or your friends or your family want. Um, but to do what God wants. To live to please God. And, and just kind of live with the consequences of what people might throw at you. Um, but, hey, your, your church family is here. Uh, you, you have shepherds here who want to pray with you, who want to encourage you. Um, if you have any need at all, um, come out. I'll together. We stand and sing.